Kairos. It is so good to be here and to worship with you tonight. As always, um, I'm especially grateful to be able to spend a few extra minutes in God's word with you tonight. Whether this is your first time or your hundredth time at Kairos, know that we are grateful that you're here. We've prayed for you, and we are expectant that God will move in our midst tonight, just as he has already begun to do. So if you have been tracking with us the last few weeks, uh, we have been in the book of Ruth. So we took a little bit of a detour last week as we had Travis teaching about what it looks like for us to contend for our hope and worship. Um, And so tonight I thought we would tie a nice little bow uh, on the end of the book of Ruth because I really value things being completed and finished. um, And I like to know that the story is all wrapped up. So it's very appropriate. One of my uh, favorite things about a movie or a TV show is when everything works out exactly like I want it to, right? Um, I have been known to watch the ending, so I know that I like the way it turns out. Um, My favorite kind of TV show finale is the one where, like, just the whole last 10 minutes of the series is like a montage five years ahead, and you get to see how everybody's life turns out exactly the way that you wanted it to. Everybody's story is wrapped up. Uh, Nobody has any more problems or issues or hard things going on. Um, Is that realistic? No. Uh, But I don't really watch TV or movies for realism because we've got real life for that. So uh, I think it's really appropriate because when we look at the book of Ruth, it is just the kind of story that I want from beginning to end. We start out, Ruth gets married, uh, everything goes downhill really quick in chapter one. She and Naomi are both left as widows, but they link arms and they walk through the pain together, they make their way back, we see Boaz come on the scene, we think, okay, things are looking up. Uh, Then at the 11th hour, this other guy comes in and we're like, oh no, but really we know she's going to end up with Boaz, so it's all going to be fine. She gets married, has a baby, like, she was a widow and a foreigner and childless, and she ends up married to somebody great and has a baby and a lineage, like, Cue the music. This love story is a wrap. It is all that we want and more. And that barely skims the surface of the story. And so I want to invite us tonight to not put on a blindfold just for the sake of a good story and a happy ending. Because I think when we take a deeper look, we can see the gospel grace that God has woven into every single inch of history. And this is just one tiny glimpse of it. So as Kinsey read for us, uh, I'd love to see how we wrap up chapter four. We're going to kind of recap a little bit up to this point, and then we're going to dive into chapter four. So just as we ended in chapter three, that's the scene where uh, Naomi makes the plan. Ruth is going to go to the threshing floor to meet Boaz, to present herself to him and say, will you redeem me? We spread your wings over me and protect me and make a new way forward for me. So both of them being people of character, uh, he agrees to redeem Ruth. But then right at the end of chapter three, we get that glitch in the story. He says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make everything better. But just so you know, there is a family relative that's closer. And he actually has the first right to redeem you. And so we're left in chapter 3 going, wait, that wasn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to end up with Boaz. So just a reminder of of the desperation of Ruth's situation. For us all, as we look back at this story of Ruth, she is left 
from Moab. She is a foreigner. She is a widow. She doesn't have any children to carry on the family name. She now has a mother-in-law strapped to her. She is now in Israel as a foreigner who is just trying to make a way for herself. So if she's left by herself, she will have to figure out for the rest of her days how to provide, how to accrue income, shelter, and not that she is not capable of doing all of those things, but the society has not made a position for her to do that by herself. And so she needs a redeemer to link arms with her and to say, come into my house, I will help carry on the family line of your husband who you have lost. And so there is a family member who is closer in relation to her than Boaz is. And if she doesn't have a redeemer, she will be spent doing exactly what she did in chapter two, which is gleaning barley all day, every day, hoping to make it by and survive on the leftovers of someone else's field. So that's where we pick up in chapter four. We see uh, Boaz at the city gate. So the city gate kind of functioned like a courthouse. That's where uh, business deals were made. That's where legal proceedings took place. So Boaz goes to the city gate because he wants to redeem Ruth. He wants to acquire her property, to marry her, to redeem her situation. So he goes to the city gate and all the elders are there. And it happens, I guess, that the other relative passes by. And he says, all right, now that you're here, let's go ahead and make this all legal. Just wanna let you know, you're the closest relative to Naomi's family, and her property is available if you want to buy it back for your family. So this other relative's like, heck yeah, I do. It would have been a great personal gain for him. He would have acquired more property, it would have increased his inheritance to pass on to his family. Then Boaz is like, also small detail, uh, Ruth does come with it, Uh, you will need to marry her. And so he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm out. Not doing that. Um, He probably had children of his own from another marriage, and so that would have jeopardized their inheritance. So he says, yeah, I I can't do that. You go ahead and redeem her. So Boaz says, great, let's make it legal. All you are witnesses here. They switch sandals, because that was a thing. And great, it's all (laughs) official. I don't, we we shouldn't bring that back. Okay. Uh, So he makes his intentions known. He's going to marry Ruth. Everybody bears witness to it, and then God blesses them with a child. And I don't want us to move too quickly past that little miracle. We can't forget that Ruth was married for 10 years in Moab. I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know why. I don't know all the details. But we know that she was married for 10 years and never gave birth to a child. So I have to guess that when she and Boaz are standing ready to get married, also this inheritance can be saved and her lineage can be passed on, both of them are probably wondering, is that even gonna be in the cards? So when she gives birth to a child, everyone rejoices, it's no small miracle. And it's at that moment that all the women, all of Naomi's friends gather around her. They celebrate and they rejoice. These same women who back in chapter one, when she came walking back into Bethlehem, they were the ones that met her on the road and said, is that Naomi? 
The same friends who picked her up when she was empty and bitter are standing ready to celebrate with her. And they are the ones that utter the most important verse of this whole book. In verse 14, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. That's why I want us to not miss the fact that we may be tempted in this story to look back at all the details and all the goings on of Naomi and Ruth, and we might be tempted to think, this is a story of Naomi and Ruth just trying to make the best of a bad situation. We might look at all the situations that they've orchestrated and said, they were doing the best they could. They were picking themselves up from their bootstraps and moving forward when everything was working against them. But this isn't a story about the best efforts of two women. This is a story about God orchestrating situations that they never could have fathomed. It was God at every turn. It was God who broke the famine in Israel that brought them back to Bethlehem. It was God who prompted Ruth to stay with Naomi. It was God who preserved Boaz as the redeemer. It was God who led Ruth to Boaz's field. It was God who moved the other relative out of the way. It was God who granted conception to Boaz and Ruth. And it was God who filled Naomi once again after she had come back empty. Why? Because God had not left them without a redeemer. God had not left his people. He had not given up on them. He had not left his people without a redeemer, and therefore he had not left them hopeless. Like I said, if you were with us last week, you heard Travis talked about what that looks like for us to contend for and fight for our hope when everything seems like we should give up, when it seems like the last thing that's possible, but that is harder said than done. I was thinking about, uh, I have a niece and a nephew who are two of my favorite people in the world. And one of my favorite things about getting to be an aunt is that you get to introduce them to things that you love. One of my favorite things is movies. Uh, so from a young age, I was trying to get them to watch movies. They're not really into it, but that's okay. I tried my hardest. Uh, but my niece, Aubrey, who, she's 11 now. But when she was younger, she went through this phase where she thought every movie was sad. Just every movie. And like, I mean, kids' movies. We're not talking the Titanic. Like, she's <laughs> frozen, Moana, trolls, you name it, all sad. And what she, what she meant was all stories have tension in them. So whatever, from the smallest scene, like there is a scene where a kid gets made fun of or somebody falls down. Like, that was the whole movie in her eyes. <laughs> like, it just ruined it all. And she couldn't understand how this uh, little point of tension was actually going to be resolved. That's just what made a good movie. But regardless, all movies were sad. So remember she came to visit me one time and I somehow convinced her to watch a movie with me. We were watching the live action Beauty and the Beast. And like the second we turned on the movie, she's like, does anybody die? And I was like, hey, this is a Disney movie. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Like, trust me, it all turns out okay. She's like, are you sure? I'm really sure. Every few minutes, are you sure they're going to be okay? 
I mean, we're not a third of the way through the movie, and I have told her every detail of how it ends, just to like assuage her fears that anyone was gonna uh, be left behind. And even with full knowledge of how the movie ended, every time the tiniest little thing went wrong, she went, wait, are you sure? She questioned it every single time. And I think about that, and I think about how often I do that. Having full knowledge of the hope that I have in Jesus, I can't help but question it along the way. I can't help but feel hopeless when circumstances look different than what I planned. And so I wonder if Ruth and Naomi did the same thing. I wonder if along the way, because they didn't get the benefit of seeing the end of the story. They don't have that last paragraph. They don't know all those people who are going to come from their lineage. And so because they can't see the bigger picture, I wonder how many times they felt hopeless. I wonder if Ruth felt hopeless when she was walking back to Bethlehem, having gotten the news that her husband and her brother-in-law had died. I wonder if she felt hopeless as they're making the way home and she's running through her head all the scenarios that she could possibly do to get food on their table or to get enough money, all the things she was going to do just to try to help them survive. I wonder if any of us are in chapter one. The loss of this past year is still real and raw right where you are. And all you're doing is trying to figure out a new way forward. He has not left you without a redeemer. I wonder if Ruth felt hopeless when she woke up before dawn every day to go pick barley hour after hour, day after day. I wonder if she felt defeated when she got home every night covered in dirt and sweat, just wondering if it was going to be enough. I wonder if she was unsure when Boaz started to show her kindness. Was there an agenda behind that? Some of you are in chapter two. You are in the midst of the mundane and the monotony of your life and you're going, Lord, do you see me? Have you forgotten about me? Do you still have good plans? I wonder if Ruth felt hopeless and skeptical as she made her way to the threshing room floor that night, praying to the God she had not been following for very long, just hoping that Naomi's plan would work. I wonder if she felt like her legs got cut out from under when this other redeemer came. Was he going to be as kind as Boaz had been? Some of you feel the hope of chapter three. Things are starting to look up. Opportunities are coming your way. Things are starting to move into place. And something comes out of left field. God has not left you without a redeemer. Even at the end, I wonder as we look 
at the conclusion of her story. I wonder if Ruth sat at night rocking that new baby. Things have all worked out. She's a husband. She's a beautiful baby. Her situation is no longer in peril. And I wonder if she sits there going, God, did it have to be that way? Did we have to take that road? Did that have to be my story? That's some of you in chapter 4. You're on the other side of grief. You're on the other side of tragedy. You're on the other side of the struggle. You're on the other side. You've come out of the tunnel on the other side. And you've caught your breath. And you're looking at God going, it's all fine now, but did we have to take that route? Did that have to be my story? I wonder if Naomi ever had to look at Ruth and remind her of the same thing that her friends looked at her and said. He hasn't left you without a redeemer. Ruth couldn't see the bigger picture. Boaz and Naomi, they would never see how this story ended. They would never see the perspective that we have, but it's because we can look at these last few verses and see what's coming that I can say with full assurance that he has not left you either, men and women. He has not left you to be your own saving grace. He hasn't left you to pick yourself up out of your sin. He hasn't left you to make yourself whole again. He hasn't left you to hold together the broken pieces and broken people in your life. He hasn't left you to scrap together unmet expectations and broken dreams. He hasn't left you to be broken by a broken world. He has not left you without a redeemer. He has known all along exactly what you needed. He has known all along as he was orchestrating ordinary happenstances for a foreign widow from Moab, he was making a way, not just for them, but for you and me. He was making a way for Ruth in this little corner of Israel in one of the darkest periods of history, he was making a way for us. He saw them, he saw us, and God was weaving together a story of his covenant promises. In all the intricate details and ordinary people and ordinary places. He was weaving together a story that I think the people in this story may not have wanted to be a part of. They had no idea. I think sometimes we find ourselves looking at our life. God is writing a story that we wish looked different. I'm not here to promise you a pretty bow on the top. I am not here to promise you that your story ends with a happily ever after kind of ending with all the knots tied up and all the loose places put in their place. That's not a guarantee we find in the gospel. But I am here to tell you that God has not left you without a redeemer. That the very God who saw Ruth and Naomi, he sees you. 
the very God who was making a way for a foreign widow, childless woman from Moab and her mother-in-law was making a way for you. Even when God's people were squandering his promises, he was preparing a king after his own heart. Even as they were waiting for that king who was going to be strong and powerful, he was calling the last-born son of a shepherd who was still out tending sheep. Even as God was working and waiting, his people were feeling the silence of 400 years. God was working in the dark. Even as God's people were crumbling under the weight of Roman oppression, he was bringing word to an unwed mother-to-be that she was going to bring the Messiah into the world. We look in Matthew chapter 1 and we follow this lineage from the end of Ruth all the way down from King David, generation after generation after generation, we get to Joseph, husband of Mary, who would bring Jesus into the world, the Messiah who would rescue not just the people of Israel, but the whole world. This is the Messiah who would buy back sinners from the grave. Boaz could redeem Ruth because he was of the right bloodline, but Jesus could redeem us because his blood is the only thing rich enough to cover our debt. And if he can buy back a widow from Moab and he can buy back sinners from the grave, then he can buy back every unmet expectation, he can buy back every fear, he can buy back every church wound, every family wound, every father wound, he can buy back every fear, he can buy back every unmet longing in your heart, he can buy it all back and he can redeem it, he can exchange it for something more valuable because he turns what was intended for evil and he uses it for good. I don't know your story. I don't know where you are in this book. I don't know what chapter you find yourself in. I don't know all the points of tension and cliffhangers. I don't know the chapters that you'd rather rip out. I don't know the pages of your story that are stained with tears. But I do know this, we're in the middle of it. And thanks be to God, we know how it ends. If we are followers of Jesus, then we have the hope of eternity that this world does not get to write the ending of our story. So in our fear and our uncertainty and our doubt, when we are tempted to yank the pen from the author of life, may we set our eyes on him. When we only get a glimpse of the story that he is writing in our life, may we have the faith and even the courage to trust that he is writing a much bigger story that tells us again and again and again that he has not left us without a redeemer. Amen? Boggs is gonna come up and we're gonna take 120 seconds to listen and reflect in on the word of God and how he might be speaking to you.